Welcome to Christmas Eve. I'm Chrissy Payne, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. And welcome to those who might be joining us online as well. As I reflect on this past year, I can just see how God has been so faithful in the lives of my family. I can see how his hand has been upon our marriage and upon the lives of my three children and on the, the ministries that we serve in here at Harbor. I can also see that uh, this year was kind of hard. There was some heaviness, there was some strain, but God met us in those moments with a peace and with a deep joy that only he can bring. And that has led us to this moment, to Christmas, and the busyness and the excitement and the fun and the presence that all that brings. But there's something else that Christmas brings, and that something else is hope. There is hope in the anticipation of Christmas, in the promise of a savior that God sent. Hope in the brokenness of our world and a deep peace that only Jesus can provide for us. So would you stand right now and join us in worshiping our Savior, Christ the Messiah. Messiah 
chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And Matthew puts it this way, Emmanuel, God with us. Death and darkness run and hide at a baby's cry. At a baby's cry And songs of angels fill the sky Break the silent night Break the silent night And oh, Emmanuel Oh, oh, oh. 
Father, thank you for your son, Emmanuel. The most important thing at Christmas, and we celebrate and we worship you today, Lord. May you be glorified in your name. Amen. Years of silence waiting on a king. They thought they knew who you would be A soldier, fearless and strong A warrior, but they were wrong In the darkest night Came the brightest light Behold, behold Yeah. 
that song and just do what the song tells us, Behold Our God. We just want to spend a moment here in just quiet reflection and prayer. And the reason this matters is really our heart for this evening would be that we would each leave having encountered God, having beheld God. And so one of the most valuable things we might do tonight is just pause and have some moments where each of us silently in our hearts could talk to God ourselves. We typically do this time on Christmas Eve, and as we do it as a church, we focus on one verse in the Bible. It's one of the most famous verses, uh, John 3.16. And if you know the verse, you know it starts this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God loved and God gave. And when Jesus spoke those words, the people that heard them for the first time would have marveled that God's love was going to be extended to the entire world. There was no people, no race, no ethnicity he did not love. But actually, the heart of this verse is not admiring God's love because it is so big and includes so many people. The reason we admire God's love for the world is because the world is so bad. God does not love the world because it's lovely. God loves the world because he is love himself. God's love is giving, it's selfless, it's costly, and ultimately God's love is redemptive. And so let's spend a moment in reflection and prayer. Would you finish this sentence in your heart to God? God, you are love. God, you are love. Would you just pray that back to God and finish the sentence? Let's spend 30 seconds praying to God now. second half of the verse says this, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you were to summarize that, it's God loved, God gave, we believe, and then we receive. Jesus tells us there's two groups of people and only two, and one group believes in him and receives eternal life. And since God has given us his son, and gives us this gift of eternal life, there is nothing that he will not hold back from us that we need. If God does not spare his son and graciously gives him to us, won't he also then meet all of our needs? And so as we mark the love of God, the giving of God, our belief in him and our reception from him, we can receive, we should come confidently to God. 
not shrink back, believing that as we ask, we receive anything we truly need. So for our second prayer time, would you finish this sentence? God, I need to receive from you. God, I need to receive from you. Let's spend another 30 seconds in prayer and meditation. And so, Father, we pause in these moments to behold you, that our souls would encounter you. God, to behold your great love, the gift of your Son, Jesus, and all that you have done for us starting on this night, Christmas Eve. And so, God, we pray, Lord, that you would draw near to us even now tonight. In your name, amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. Sing, what child is this? We're going to read from Hebrews 12, verses 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's continue to praise him.
What child is this to lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the King whom angels guard and angels haste, haste to bring him life, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, Come, peasant king, to own him, the king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high, the virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the Son, the Son of Mary. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him blood. The babe, the son of Mary. Death's fear shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Be seated. Well, we have uh, this historical uh, story in our family happened about 20 years ago. It's known as the Masters Inn incident. We were vacationing in Florida as a family, and I graciously offered to go to the public library because, you know, Wi-Fi was not that readily available. Uh, and book the hotel room for our return trip to Canada from Florida. Columbia, South Carolina was the city we were going to spend the night in. And so you know how you book these hotels. You go to this website, you filter out the hotels that are not by the chosen highway, and then you sort from lowest price to highest price, and you just simply choose the lowest price. Men, that's what we do, right? Simple and easy. Book the hotel. We arrived there. 
the bulletproof glass in the checkout or in the reception area should have been our first clue. And then we pulled around and we realized, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with this, this is one of the motels where people live in year round. And uh, that wouldn't have been so bad other than it looked like our room, someone had lived in that up until about the night before. And then they had just sprayed some Febreze around to freshen it up for our arrival. It masters in South Carolina still exists. I actually went on the Google reviews. Here's what someone wrote. First two reviews. Wow, no words. My husband booked <laughs> My husband booked this <laughs> motel on our cross-country trip. I feel for the guy. I know. <laughs> Here's what she said. Nope, would not even getting out of the car. Uh, number 2 review. This place gets 0 stars from me. So Masters in, you can check it out. Last hotel room I ever booked. If you talk to my wife and uh, you say to her, Masters in, she will say, Last one, Jeff, I ever booked. Me trying to save probably $20 has cost me so much money over the last 20 years. Now, I, I share that. Uh, my, my reservation mistake, uh, because it actually does relate to Christmas Eve one of three sort of facts that I want to bring our way this evening as we think about the Christmas story. And these three facts come together in a way that helps us know who God is and helps us know how we can encounter him on Christmas Eve. In fact, how we can encounter him all year long. And here's what we know. There's nothing more important than that knowing something about our God and how we may move towards him. So let me just read a few lines from the Christmas story and share these sort of three truths. Luke writes in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, here's what he says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Canarius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Luke opens the Christmas story by talking about Caesar Augustus. He's actually the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and Caesar Augustus was the first Roman emperor to call himself a god. In fact, what he declared was his father, Julius, was a god, and Caesar Augustus was the son of God. If his father was a god, then he was a son of God. He was God himself as well. And so as Luke opens the Christmas story, he tells us about the most powerful man in the world who's declaring himself to be the son of God, and he is ordering a worldwide census. He turns the world upside down because he wants to count people and tax them. And now millions of people have to be on the move back to their hometown. And so here's the first thing we see in the Christmas story, a worldwide census called by Caesar Augustus, the son of God. Let me read the next two verses. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And so Luke takes us from this global overview of a worldwide census now down to one very poor family 
in the nation Israel, whose lives are uh, interrupted, seemingly swept up in this decree by Caesar Augustus. But did you notice as Luke writes it, in the first line there in verse 4, he mentions a name twice. It's like he wants us to hear it. He says, in the town of David and from the line of David. What Luke is doing us is telling us that, giving us some of Jesus' credentials. He's from the line of David, the royal line, and he's born in Bethlehem, the town of David. This really matters. Here's why. Because 500 years earlier, there had been prophecies that would say the Son of God, the Savior of the world, would be born from the line of David in the town of Bethlehem. Luke is giving us Jesus' credentials. He's saying that Jesus fulfills these ancient prophecies. Just think about that for a moment. Some of these prophecies 500 years earlier. Just think today. This is a good Christmas Eve activity. Go home and guess where the ruler of the world will be born in 2521. It's a difficult exercise. You're not even sure what countries will exist, who and where that ruler may be, but this is exactly what Luke is drawing our attention to. And interesting fact here about the whole life of Jesus, there's over a hundred of these prophecies. If you're someone who may be a skeptic of the Bible, it's certainly worth it to Google that and see these prophecies from so long ago coming to fulfillment in Jesus. So here's what we have. We have a worldwide census, and then we have fulfilled prophecy. It's like Luke's way of saying this. You might think Caesarus Augustus is in control, but God is using all things He's working and orchestrating everything in his plan to bring together this one moment. God is sovereign over all things. So from worldwide census that leads to a fulfilled prophecy, now we get these next verses. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to a firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And as you think about these accommodations, no guest room available, these would have been primitive and crude accommodations. You know, this is a poor country and these are poor people. One commentator explained it was probably just some sort of wooden enclosure and then inside the enclosure was different stalls that would have been put together and people and families would have slept in each stall. Outside, there's probably a common yard where the animals would gather and be kept and be fed. The innkeeper provides a little bit of straw for the animals and a fire for people to cook on, but that's about it. And then here, Mary and Joseph are arriving She's in labor. They're looking for a place to stay, and there's no stall available. She gives birth in the middle of the night, maybe in this common courtyard with animals around. No one makes any room for her. No one is there to care for her. Just think about it for a moment. Think of that scene. It's the physical, the stench, and the dirt of it, 
the poverty of Mary and Joseph, they have no other option, their utter helplessness, the indifference of everyone else. No one comes to offer any help to say, we've got a space for you. The humiliation and shame Joseph would have felt in not being able to care for his bride-to-be in any better way. We, we like to look at the Christmas story, this moment by the manger and clean it up, you know, make it seem very nice, but it's not. It's smelly. It stinks of manure. There's the pain and blood and cries of childbirth. And then Luke tells us that Mary wrapped the baby Jesus in clothes, and Mary placed him in a manger. Why is Mary doing all of that? Because no one else is there to help her. She's alone. These are deplorable, miserable, pathetic, poor, low conditions. And if I may, for a moment, here's the third fact we see. There's no place for them. There's no reservation. There's no room available. So we go from worldwide census that God uses to fulfill prophecy to no room, no guest room, no reservation. If I'm looking back on my story, at least I booked the masters in, right? At least the story doesn't end, and we slept the night in the park in the rain. That would be even worse. You know, I get a little bit of credit for going to the library and booking the room. But God, no plan, no room, no nothing. Couldn't the story have been, and they arrived, and there was one place left. God was faithful in the last moment. Couldn't have been, and someone came and aided them. They ran into a midwife on the way. If God's orchestrating 500-year-old prophecy, couldn't he orchestrate a midwife? Couldn't he do so many other things? things but no and so we ask ourselves the question why 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 no reservation why so pitiful so miserable so deplorable here's why because this is how god wanted to enter the world this is how god chose to enter the world and the message of the christmas story is this jesus had to make his way to us because we are not making our way to him he had to come our way since we would never make our way to god but even in that idea but then why in the inn why did he stoop to such low and poor and humiliating conditions it really couldn't have been any worse why did he do that here's why because we are experts in making excuses in why we stay away from God. We're so good at that. We find countless reasons to stay back from God. We want to stay in control. We want to lead our own lives. God, I don't really trust you. God, you don't really love me. If I give you control of my life, you'll certainly ruin it. Or we say to God, God, you don't love me. You know, this works for other people, but you could never change me. You could never come near to me. Or we just on a daily basis ignore God. Moment by moment, we would draw from encountering and walking each day with him. But Jesus comes in a manger. It's like he's saying to us, I went through all of this for you. I love you. I have done all of this for you. And we know the story doesn't end here with the wooden manger. The story takes us to the humiliation of the cross but we know it doesn't end there 
We pivot three days later to the resurrection of Jesus and now his ascension and him reigning in heaven as the true son of God. And Jesus wants to communicate to us as we think of no reservation, no just him there in a manger, that no person, no situation is too far from him. He's never above us, never beyond us. Jesus is accessible. We can easily get to him. Jesus is approachable. You can personally know him. And so as John 3.16 reminds us, there's two groups of people, one that put their trust in him and one that have not yet. And if I could just briefly speak to both groups of people, for those of you that have not yet placed your trust in Christ, wouldn't you come to Jesus? He's approachable. He's accessible. He did all of this, came in such a low manner to communicate that no one is beyond his love and his care. Maybe for some of you, you've searched and seeked and considered Jesus all this last year for the last six months. Wouldn't tonight on Christmas Eve, you just come to Jesus and trust in him and say, tonight, Jesus, I put my trust in you. For others of you, you're sensing God working in your heart tonight. You're sensing him drawing him to you. And as you see him there in the manger, at the lowly, poor, and miserable, communicating to you, he loves you. Something may be stirring in your heart. Wouldn't you follow that? Wouldn't this year you seek after him, know him, determine to know his heart and his love for you? And so for those that have not trusted, Jesus beckons us on Christmas Eve to come and trust him. And then for those of you here tonight who have trusted in Jesus, you, you know this about Jesus. You worship him for his humiliation on your behalf. Through for, by his humiliation, we are saved. By, as he is brought low, we receive glory. You know that you worship him. You know all this is true, that he's accessible and he's approachable. And for all of you that know that and celebrate that and worship Jesus in that, let me just say this to you. Wouldn't you come to him tomorrow? Just tomorrow. Come and receive the life that you offer, he offers. Don't stay away from him for one day. We know all this is true. We know him and him alone offers life for our soul both now and forever. And no situation is beyond him. So even now as you know all this to be true, come Come to him tonight and enjoy relationship. Come to him tomorrow and cast all your cares upon him. Let me pray for us as we consider Jesus, the accessible, approachable king. God, we see you there in the manger. God, poor, lowly, miserable, deplorable, alone. And yet, God, we mark your great love for us, Lord. And we celebrate that tonight. God, thank you that you have done all of this to make a way for us. And God, may you help us to return and come to you, we pray. Amen and amen. Let me just for two quick announcements this evening before we close with a few more songs. As some of you know, our tradition on Christmas Eve is to take up a benevolent fund offering. 100% of this offering goes to meet the needs that occur during the year in our church. And here's what we do as a church. We trust God that the offering that we receive tonight will provide for all the needs that will occur in this next year. 
This last year, the deacons have offered monthly financial support to many families. They've helped youth and children so that none of them would be excluded from any, any of the great things we do for kids and youth. There's been food baskets and grocery cards and countless other things throughout the year. But here's what the deacons wanted me to tell you. This year has been the year of greatest needs ever. This has been the most challenging year for them. Why, why is that? Well, one reason is Harbor has grown. We have more people now than ever before, and so there are more needs. And the second reason for that, you know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, and we see the effects of that in so many ways throughout our world and throughout our church community. So can I just ask you tonight, would you give and give generously towards our benevolent fund? When you came in, there's an offering uh, envelope on your chair. You can place the offering in there. You see on the side screens the other ways you can give. Whichever way you give, please make sure it's marked clearly benevolent fund. We want to make sure every penny goes towards that offering. It's that important. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for supporting people who have needs in this next year. And then the second thing I'll just quickly mention is in the in the, in the new year, we start a six-week study, Work as Worship, and here's our request, my request, would you join us? Would every single one of you find a way to participate, be here on Sunday, and join a group? And if you'd like more information on that, you see the email address, you can email that right now, All Church at Harbor Fellowship, and someone would be glad to tell you more how you can connect and be a part of a group. Let's stand together and continue to worship our God. singing carols of joy and peace but you feel too far gone and too far out of reach somewhere in your silent night heaven hears the song So 
Jesus, to Thee be all glory give. It's been quite a year. We started the year in lockdown, 
and then had a second. We've been learning the Greek alphabet together, Delta, Omicron. I don't even want to know what's next in the alphabet. But hear, hear this. God has been at work. God has been at work in our church, and God has been at work in so many of our lives. I just count it such a privilege to be the lead pastor here at Harbor. And so on behalf of all the leaders here who feel the same way, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your, your honor and our unity for this year. And just as a way of saying thank you to you, we have this book available, one per family, 23 days. Grab a copy, spend, read it for 23 days, one chapter a day, and just to encounter our God and enjoy him. Let me remind you of a couple of things. Sunday, one service, three churches, 1045 only, 1045 only. Please greet someone uh, before you leave if you don't, if you meet someone new. And then let me end with the four words we always end with, Harbor, we are sent.